0: I'm Kevin Nguyen, features editor at The Verge. One thing about having your email address listed on a website is that you get a lot of email. I get dozens of pictures a week, but sometimes in that deluge of mail, you find something really special. Like, there's this time I got this one subject line. How one Asian diaspora is reimagining the conference line. Actually, that's a terrible subject line. Hey! Sorry, just being honest. By the way, this is Mia Sato. She's a freelance writer based in Chicago, and she's the one responsible for this very bad subject line. Hello. Anyway, I opened the email and uh, Mia had outlined a story about how Hmong people had, for years, been using conference call lines, the most dreadfully boring technology that exists, to make something really weird and really quite wonderful.
1: There are 20 calls. KKABC Los Angeles store.
0: What are we listening to? So that was just a little bit of a radio show. But it kind of sounded like we like were, It said like there were 23 listeners. Like it kind of reminded me of like being in a conference call meeting.
2: Well, you were. <laughs> this is a really interesting kind of radio show. For one, that language you were hearing was Hmong. up to a New York giant. The Hmong people are a small ethnic group. There's just under 300,000 of them in the United States. And what makes it so interesting is that these shows, of which there are many, are all run through free conference call software.
0: And do you speak Hmong? Not a lick. (laughs) (laughs) So wait, how did you even find these conference call radio stations?
2: So I am from Wisconsin, and I think that automatically separates me from a lot of Americans in that I know who the Hmong people are. I grew up around Hmong folks. I grew up around their culture and their arts and their language. And I knew that they had really specific news needs,
0: And that's because there's just like not a lot of media that's written in Hmong, right?
2: Right. Yeah. And the Hmong language has a very relatively short history in its written form. Also, they didn't have a written form of their language until about the 1950s. So when I was an intern at the Wisconsin Center for Investigative Journalism, I wanted to know, like, how they got their news. And I wasn't really getting satisfactory answers. They said that newspapers, you know, aren't really too popular. They have, like, Facebook groups and things like that. And then super offhandedly, a source I was talking to mentioned the telephone radio shows. And I had no idea what he was talking about. Once I found out about these lines, naturally, I went to do research to see if anyone else knew about this. And lo and behold, a former professor of mine had authored a whole paper and was and currently is working on a book on Hmong Media.
3: My name is Lori Quito-Lopez, and I'm an assistant professor of communication arts at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. My research is on different forms of Asian-American media, and for uh, my research in Wisconsin, I've been looking at Hmong-American media.
2: This was totally new to me, and so I sat down with her, read her research, and she had been doing extensive studies and interviews with folks, Hmong folks around the state, trying to figure out what these lines were and how they played into Hmong-American culture.
3: So basically, these are 24-7 radio stations that Hmong American people tune into just using their cell phones. So they have a conference call, and it just runs all day and all night, every day of the week. And it's set up pretty much like a radio station where they have a host who is assigned to sort of facilitate conversation about a certain topic every hour of the day. And they stay on a schedule so that they can know what they're going to listen to, whether it's going to be conversation about health or Hmong culture or religion or just storytelling or maybe singing traditional songs. I would say it's the most popular form of mass media in the Hmong American community. Right off the bat, she said she is not aware of
2: any other media forms like this or people using this technology in this way. But that said, there are elements to this format that are similar in some ways to more mainstream media forms. So like, It's like podcasts or normal radio in that you use your voice to communicate to your community. But it's also kind of like citizen journalism and media because it's participatory. So people don't just call in. They also speak back to the host. But then that kind of sounds like a chat room. So (laughs) it's all over the place. And it's also not bound by geography. So as long as you have the phone number, you can call in from anywhere.
0: Yeah, I think the cool thing about it is that it's not necessarily illicit But it is kind of like a like a form of like pirate radio, right? Like it exists to speak to uh, a marginalized community that doesn't often get spoken to. um, And in this case, literally in Hmong. And then it uses a technology in a way that it's not supposed to be used. You know, it's like kind of subversive in that way.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's really like on their own terms. So there's a lot of agency that are that's given to hosts and owners of the lines where if you were a Hmong person and you wanted your own line tomorrow, you could you could figure it out, right? And you could do it. And you could you could find hosts amongst your friends or families and be like, do you wanna have the Thursday at five PM slot? You can talk about whatever. So it's very led and shaped by by the community for the community.
0: So why do you think the, the conference call radio shows work specifically for Hmong people? It sounds like at least according to Professor Lopez, that no no one else is doing this?
2: Yeah, it's a really complicated question, and it has a lot of layers to it. So, you know, even within the Hmong community, it isn't for everyone. It seems like it's a lot less popular for people, you know, say my age, second or third generation Hmong Americans. Um, and the community isn't monolithic, so opinions are divided, to say the least. So I would say it's hard to pin down just one reason why this format works for them, But Professor Lopez does have some ideas.
3: So first, I would say that it just being an oral medium is really resonant for Hmong American people. So they have um, a rich oral culture where singing songs and telling stories and communicating orally is really important. And also there's a history of older Hmong people not being literate necessarily in English or Hmong language. And so if people's lives were really disrupted by the war, then they often didn't get to learn how to read and write. So then they come to the US and they have a history of really communicating well orally and having a need to really listen to stories and tell stories. But then I also think that it being on their cell phones is also what made it really take off as a mass medium. So then just having a cell phone, they can just turn it on, call the number and tune in. So you can see
2: the rise of these programs is really complex. And there's a mix of technological changes, wider accessibility to technology, and maybe just a few people with a really clever idea that others eventually latched onto. But I think to really understand why people are so active on these lines, you need to also understand the history of how the Hmong people came to the United States. The Hmong are an ethnic minority with origins in China and then later Southeast Asian countries like Laos, Vietnam, Thailand. And they've experienced persecution for hundreds of years. Even before I began reporting this story, I heard Hmong people refer to themselves as a people without their own country. That's because they were forced to flee violence and oppressive rule over and over again. In the 1960s, United States forces recruited Hmong in Laos to help resist the spread of communism in Southeast Asia, and that conflict is called the Secret War. — Hmong soldiers ran spy missions deep inside enemy territory, even entering China to tap telephone lines there for the CIA. During that, tens of thousands of Hmong men and boys were killed in combat, in addition to about 50,000 Hmong civilians killed.
1: Their casualty rate was a hundred times higher
2: than that of the United States in Vietnam. In the years following the conflict, hundreds of thousands of Hmong people were essentially scattered around the world, and some Hmong, who left... Their homelands came to the United States, where they settled mostly in California, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. There are some Hmong people in France and Australia, but the vast majority still live in Asia. So if you're a Hmong American and you don't live in an enclave like St. Paul or Fresno or Sacramento or Milwaukee, it's likely pretty normal to not encounter another Hmong person in your day-to-day life. Basically, you have this diasporic community that is all over the world with a rich oral culture and innovative, easy-to-access, semi-digital spaces that they've basically made for themselves, and they've been doing this for years.
0: So you talked to some of these DJs, right? I did, yes. And like, I guess, what is it like to run one of these lines?
2: So these people are really invested in them, and they spend a lot of time running them, organizing them, keeping things running smoothly. And many of the hosts and callers I spoke to also described really meaningful friendships they've formed through the lines, the same way that you and I might talk about internet friends who you uh, know in some sort of removed or isolated context, but you might never meet them in real life. But that said, they're still your friend and you still share part of your life with them. One person connected to the lines that I spoke to was me Vang. She's 53, she lives in St. Paul, Minnesota, and she is prolific and beloved by her listeners.
4: I don't have time to volunteer outside of home to my community. And by hosting my own show in the telephone conference, that's my
2: community work to my people. That's my mm-hmm. volunteer work to my community. She hosted shows for about a decade. Earlier this year, she finally quit hosting. She got too busy with other things, but her shows mostly focused on relationships, personal growth, and especially cooking.
4: Teaching people cooking on air. So they would come and listen to me and then they can go home, take my recipe and cook at their home. And I also talked about multiple subjects of self-improvement, ranging from how to and children, or being a mother, or romantic relationships, or any kind of relationship with people, or just keeping up your house cleaning, anything self-improvement I talked about on air.
2: Listeners loved her cooking shows. She said that throughout the years, they've sent her all sorts of gifts in the mail after hearing her talk through recipes on air, and they would send her, like, dry foods and kitchen utensils, like pasta machines, and traditional Hmong accessories. And one even sent her money when her son graduated high school, which I thought was really funny. Wow, that's amazing. As Hmong
4: people traditionally were not as open talking about relationships in general or romantic relationships in general. And romantic relationships is a topic that I'm very passionate about. So I was amazed when I first called in and talked to them, I was amazed how much we have changed and able to discuss such topics publicly openly
2: one of the stories of hers that stuck with me the most was about mothers day and fathers day on the lines mothers day fathers day celebration we didn't have those back in blows. Hmong culture traditionally doesn't have many holidays, and Mother's Day and Father's Day were something that Hmong refugees new to the United States had to learn when they first came here. So the idea of having a holiday dedicated to outwardly expressing love and gratitude to your parents was a new thing for them. We
4: did not have a social opportunity to appreciate our mom and dad. And then they die, and then this telephone conference become available and we have the chance to socially let the world know how we feel about our mom
2: and dad. A lot of Hmong folks that I spoke to, they were like, we never said like, I love you. We showed our love through actions and by being, you know, good children and our parents showed their love through taking care of us, but that verbal exchange was just not part of their traditional culture.
4: The first few seasons People were just crying, crying
2: while they delivered their message to their mom or dad on Mother's Day and Father's Day. And back in June, right around Father's Day, I got the chance to hear what she was talking about. So it's a Friday before Father's Day, and I call in right at 6 p.m. The show is supposed to go from 6 to 8. There are about 20 callers on the line when I initially call in, and they're all there to listen and share what Father's Day means to them, or tell stories about their dad.
1: Okay, Mia, are you here? If you're here, could you come and say hello to everybody? Okay, you are now unmuted.
2: Hello. So I introduce myself on the line, let them know who I am and what I'm doing, and they know that I don't speak Hmong. So a few of the callers on the line spoke English and translated for me here and there, or shared their stories about their dad in English.
5: I would like to talk about my father. So, because Father's Day is this Sunday, so
2: one woman by talked about this being her first father's, father's Day after her dad died last fall.
5: For us that doesn't have a father anymore, when that day comes, you don't know where to go. So you could go to the cemetery and bring him flowers, but it's not—it's not like when he is here that you can see him and talk to him or even just be here visiting him. So, to me, Father's Day is a day that I do cherish and I will always remember. Um, even though he's no longer here, I think that I remember I remember his smile his face and his love. So, Father's Father's Day is very, very important to me and I am very happy that I am here in this country and that I'm able to share and I'm able to celebrate and just share this special occasion of Father's Day with my family.
2: That stuck with me and I think it's because it exemplifies so much of why I find these lines to be really special and incredible. It seems like a lot of Hmong American cultural evolution happened and continues to happen on these lines. I think it's sort of amazing that people like Mi Vang got to watch that happen in real time within her community on the lines. And Mother's Day and Father's Day are just two examples of that cultural evolution and change. When I initially called into the line, I thought I would just be kind of in the background, listening and recording. I had it like on speakerphone on my cell phone in my kitchen while I was making dinner. But about halfway through the call, just when I thought the callers had forgotten I was there, they invited me to join, <laughs> first asking me to talk about my own father and then asking me questions about myself.
1: Can
5: you, can you share some of you? You are now unmuted. Experience with your father with us too? since we're all talking and you're not just listening? Sure, share some of your experience with your father? Yes, I would love to.
0: So even researching this story for months and and this is the first time you've spoken on it, did something kind of like crack open for you um, once you kind of had a firsthand experience?
2: Yeah, I felt really grateful. The whole process of reporting this story, I was and still am an outsider to this community. And so they were really welcoming. I'd called in and listened for research many times to this line, but I had never actually spoken on the lines before. I had never been unmuted, so I was pretty nervous. Um, So, my father is from Japan, and um, my parents met when my father came to Wisconsin for school, um, for college, and so my mom is American from Wisconsin, and my dad is Japanese, and They come from two completely different cultures and worlds. You know, I love my father. He's still alive. I'm really thankful. Um, And one thing that is hard, though, is, for instance, I won't be able to see him this Father's Day because my dad lives in Japan, actually. Um, You never hear English on these lines and here these people were like translating for like... The girl who doesn't speak Hmong, who is for some reason interested in what we're doing here. It was really kind and really just a wonderful moment. And I even halfway through the show, they were like, hey, Mia, like some of our normal callers, they don't speak English very well and they don't know what you're saying. So we're going to switch all to Hmong now. Is that okay?" And I'm like, oh, my God, like I am an intruder here. Like you do what you need to do. It is totally okay." But they opened their space that they created for themselves to an outsider, and they expressed how happy they were that I was, that I joined them that day and shared with them that day, so it felt really rewarding, and I felt really humbled to be there.
1: You are welcome here anytime now. You are the Hmong sister now. Okay. <laughs> All you need to do just the know that you can come and join us, and I'm going to give you a program that you can hold. <laughs>
2: Miss Lee, the woman who owns the line I called into, sees what she's doing by owning and operating a line as a form of community service for the Hmong people. She talks a lot about wanting to do this despite being busy because she cares about the people on the other end of the line and not just on Father's Day. For many Hmong people, this is part of everyday life.
1: I mean, I'm just happy that, you know, in America, we have something like this that it doesn't matter where we are. We all can stay in touch. We can learn from each other, and it's a way of making friends. It's a way of uh, changing people's lives mm-hmm. through the Conference. That's all I I know.
0: This special episode of Vergecast Pirate Radio was made by Mia Sato, Andrew Marino, and Kevin Nguyen. Fact check done by Maya Hibbit. Special thanks to BAM Studios in Chicago for letting us record. And a shout out to Neil Patel, Verge EIC, for letting us, in the spirit of pirate radio, hijack Vergecast.